This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host. Uh, Missy, not with us again this week, but uh, I will give you an update. And thank you, first of all, for uh, all of the emails that we've gotten. Uh, We've heard from a lot of folks uh, saying that you're keeping Missy in your thoughts and your prayers. And uh, again, that is greatly Greatly appreciated. Um, so, Missy went to the doctors uh, yesterday. Well, that would be a, a Thursday uh, for those of you who uh, don't listen to 40 Acres and a Fool as soon as it's available. Anyway, she was there at the doctors on Thursday of this week. Um, and the uh, the tests that were done, the, uh, the lung biopsy, so uh, they don't know. They still don't know what's going on. The biopsy didn't turn up anything... Um, uh, apparently particularly uh, dangerous or unusual. The uh, doctors still don't think that the mass in Missy's lung is cancerous, uh, but they can't rule it out either. But apparently the, uh, the sample that they got didn't show any signs of cancer, also didn't show any signs of a fungal infection, uh, which was my working theory. Um, so... Uh, they're going back to the original diagnosis of maybe this was pneumonia. Uh, and they're talking about it uh, being a, a certain kind of pneumonia. Um, the acronym is BOOP, which sounds kind of cute, right? Uh, BOOP stands for Bronchiolitis Obliterans Organizing Pneumonia. Uh, it is a rare inflammatory lung disorder. Um, she fits most of the symptoms, so uh, she is on a uh, corticosteroid for a couple of weeks to see if that uh, reduces the mass in her lungs. If it does not, then the uh, next step is another biopsy, uh, a uh, more invasive biopsy than the uh, one that she had before, and we will we'll keep trying to figure this out. So um, there was a little bit of good news in that you know we didn't get a, a diagnosis of lung cancer or uh, anything like that, but uh, I don't want to say it was bad news, but it's certainly uh, kind of frustrating uh, for Missy e to still not know uh, what's going on and what's wrong and how to fix it. So let's hope uh, that the uh, round of corticosteroids uh, does the trick and that when she goes back, uh, the, uh, the mass is actually shrunk and the doctors have figured it out. But in the meantime, I certainly would appreciate uh, you continuing to keep Missy in your thoughts and your prayers. And she will be back with us, I I promise. But uh, she just got the news a few hours before started doing the podcast and uh, just kind of an emotional day for uh, Missy. So she'll be back with us hopefully uh, next week. And uh, in the meantime, on this week's program, we have a lot to talk about. We've gotten uh, uh, several emails just checking in from uh, your homesteads around the country. And we'll be talking about that. The 
weather, which was a big topic of conversation on last week's podcast, the just unbelievable heat and heat indices, uh, 114 degrees, something like that. Things have broken a little bit. Uh, in central Virginia, we're now looking at you know highs much more seasonal uh, in the low 90s as opposed to the triple digits. Um, the uh, the the I don't want to say a drought because I don't think we're in drought conditions yet, but it's definitely been dry uh, over the past three weeks or so. And I've watched on the radar almost uh, every night over the past couple of well over the past week or so as storms have fired up. Uh, and they start to fire up over the uh, the Blue Ridge, and then they'll make their way east. And I've seen these storms approach, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, we're going to get rain. And it breaks up. The storm breaks up before it gets to our house, and maybe we'll get, I don't even want to say a drizzle, like a sprinkle. Uh, and then the, uh, the storms move on. Sometimes they reform uh, once they're past our house. But uh, last night, finally Thursday night, we, we did have a massive thunderstorm with uh, lots of lightning, uh, but also a torrential downpour for about 30 or 45 minutes. So hopefully uh, the grass and the trees and the uh, few tomato plants that we have growing up and the pepper plants that we have, hopefully they all uh, appreciated that good soaking. I'm not sure the, uh, the hogs... And the goats appreciated it too much, although there is now fresh mud for the uh, hogs to wallow in. So there is that bonus. Uh, we're supposed to have a, another uh, pretty good chance of rain this weekend. So uh, that'll be good, not only for uh, our little farm, but for a lot of the farmers around here. Uh, it, it, you know, I'm used to, and I, it, since we have lived in central Virginia outside of Farmville, um, Gosh, we moved in the winter of 2012, so this is my 13, 14, 15, 16. This is my fourth summer uh, here in the Farmville area, and it's always been very, very green. Like growing up in Oklahoma, I was used to by July, everything was brown, uh, except for the people who had like the in ground sprinkler systems and their lawns were still green all summer long. But by July, everything was brown in Oklahoma because it was so hot. We didn't get a lot of rain. And so the grass just died. Central Virginia is not like that. Uh, it has been just this lush, verdant green all summer long and into the fall even, um, except for this year. This is the year that I'm noticing. Uh, more and more brown spots, not just uh, in people's yards, but as you drive past these big fields, uh, you can tell the uh, some of the crops are not doing really well. The soybeans that I've seen, uh, they still seem to be doing okay. The uh, the corn that I've seen around here, uh, looking a little iffy, uh, honestly, but uh, not not particularly stunted or anything like that. But you can definitely tell. Uh, this summer in a way that you have not been able to tell just visually as you look around the landscape that uh, this has been a uh, hot, dry summer here in central Virginia. So hopefully the weather is uh, doing uh, better things for your garden than it is for a lot of folks around here. Now we're going to step away for just a moment or two. We do have a lot more here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. So stick around. We'll be right back right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards. On the Blaze Radio Network.
in the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Thanks again for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. So we are uh, in full back-to-school mode at the house right now, Uh, and this is kind of a big year because uh, our youngest kids, the twins, starting middle school, that is a... It's a very big deal when you go from elementary school to middle school. And then uh, our uh, uh, oldest child at home right now, uh, who's getting ready to turn 16 in a couple of days. Oh, that's got uh, don't like that. I got the uh, stomach ache just thinking about my uh, son being 16. Uh, he is getting ready to start his junior year of high school. And, you know, that's sort of when all of a sudden stuff gets real uh, when you're a junior and you've got to start taking the test and thinking about where you're going to college and things like that. So uh, the kids are uh, fully engrossed right now in uh, back to school behavior. For my uh, uh, for the oldest son that's at home, um, that means finally starting the summer reading that he was supposed to do all summer long. <laughs> and it fell on me to go to the library to get a couple of books from the summer reading list. Um, I did take pity on my son. Uh, I got him uh, a Red Badge of Courage by Stephen Crane, which is a fairly short uh, novel to read. And then the uh, the only other book that I could find that was on their summer reading list that was there at the library because all of the other students apparently have gone and checked out the books that were on the summer reading list uh, was Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. And uh, the first thing that my son told me when I handed him his book, he's like, oh, okay, well, this one looks good. And he looked at the Red Badge, Red Badge of Courage. And he said, I didn't realize The Jungle was so long. I said, yeah, it is. But, uh, you know, it reads fairly quickly. And, oh, okay. Now, here's the thing. I've read The Jungle. It doesn't read very quickly. I I struggled with The Jungle, uh, not because of the uh, the content, not because of uh, what the book was talking about. Uh, you know, if, if you've never read The Jungle, Upton Sinclair uh, came out in the uh, early 1900s, wrote about uh, so so he wanted to write uh, about the plight of uh, immigrants working in Chicago and working in the meatpacking industry. Uh, hoping to raise awareness and sympathy for uh, the workers there in that industry. Instead, what happened when people read the book was they they were disgusted by the practices uh, there in the uh, in the meat in the you know in the slaughterhouses and in the, uh, the the processing plants, and that's what people kind of freaked out about. Uh, and so that ended up leading to. A lot of government regulation of these uh, slaughterhouses, and uh, even back then, you know, 100 years ago, um, the big players uh, had a seat at the table. They wrote the regs that it would not impact them. These smaller independent operators, uh, they were kind of hosed by the uh, government actions, and a lot of them uh, ended up going out of business. So it, it didn't have the impact that uh, Upton Sinclair uh, hoped that it would have, and it's 
just kind of a slog. I'll be really honest with that. Upton Sinclair is not one of my favorite writers for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I think he was also, now this gets a little far afield, but uh, you flash forward a few years to the uh, Sacco and Vanzetti case uh, out of Massachusetts. Sacco and Vanzetti were a couple of uh, Italian anarchists who were accused of um, uh, engaging in an armed robbery and shooting and killing uh, one of the, uh, the guards there. And uh, they became sort of a, a cause celeb uh, of the left at the time. Uh, a lot of people, including Upton Sinclair, said that they were uh, unfairly prosecuted, that they were being railroaded, that these were innocent men that were being put to death. Um, as it turns out, uh, Upton Sinclair had talked to one of the uh, original defense attorneys uh, for uh, Sacco and Vanzetti, and this attorney was convinced of their guilt. Uh, and Upton Sinclair didn't uh, didn't include any of this in his uh, writings about the case. He just sort of kept all that information to himself, uh, and again portrayed uh, these individuals as, uh, as as you know purely innocent uh, individuals who were who were murdered uh, by the U.S. government. So I I've got my beefs with uh, Upton Sinclair, and I've had them for a while. But the uh, the jungle is just I'll be honest with you, I just don't think it's a a very well-written book. It is powerful in its way. Clearly, it had an impact, but uh, not one of my favorites. So I've uh, I foisted that on my son. Hopefully, uh, he'll get through it. We all have to read a book or two in high school that uh, that we that we just struggled with, right? I mean, I can remember. And actually, you know, actually thinking back in high school, I remember the books that I really, really liked more than the books that I really, really didn't like. But I was lucky enough to have. Uh, uh, every year in high school, uh, amazing English teachers who uh, assigned really interesting books uh, and not necessarily, you know, the, the standard reading material. I never read Catcher in the Rye in high school. Uh, and I think we did To Kill a Mockingbird freshman year. Um, now I'm trying to think of like the worst book that I got assigned back in high school. At the time, thinking about it, probably would have been something by Shakespeare. I also had a really hard time getting into uh, Shakespeare. I remember uh, junior year, the Mel Gibson Hamlet came out, and our English teacher, we, we went on a field trip to go see Hamlet, the movie. Uh, the teacher's idea, you know, hey, we'll, we'll expose the students to uh, Shakespeare via film. They'll appreciate it. No, not really. I suppose if I had been a little bit younger, then they would have exposed me and uh, taken us to a field trip to uh, uh, that Romeo and Juliet movie featuring Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, then I really would have hated Shakespeare. Anyway, I'm, I'm curious, is there a book that you remember reading in high school that you particularly loved or particularly hated? The uh, email address, 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Hands down, the best book that we were assigned uh, in high school was The Thread That Runs So True by Jesse Stewart. That was also freshman year, I believe. Uh, and it's the story of I've talked about Jesse Stewart on this program before. It's the it's it's his story, uh, slightly fictionalized, of how this Kentucky farm boy uh, ended up becoming a teacher in rural Kentucky in the uh, 1920s, teaching at a one room schoolhouse. I think he was 17 when he started, and it kind of follows his career uh, as an educator. Uh, to the point where he's uh, the principal of a high school, uh, I think at the age 22, 23, 
um, and all of the battles that he fights with the uh, the, the school board back then. Uh, it was a really interesting book. And Jesse Stewart again, he just he, he loved where he lived. He loved the land where he grew up, uh, and he describes and paints a picture of that part of Kentucky so vividly that it uh, it stuck with me and it still stuck with me. And he's still one of my favorite writers. So hands down, that's an easy pick. The uh, the best book that I read in high school. Worst book. I hate to go with Shakespeare, right? That makes me sound like such a nudge, but uh, I think I'm going to have to go with Shakespeare. The Tempest. All right, when we uh, come back, we've got more here on 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network, so stick around. We'll be back right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. Available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. Still to come here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. We're going to hear from you. Got an email from Lena checking in on her homestead. And again, I want to just thank everybody uh, who wrote in with the well wishes for Miss E. Uh, And I also want to give a... uh, a special shout out to David in Ontario, California. He says, just started listening to your podcast. Uh, you, Miss E, and your family are in our prayers. David, thank you, sir, for uh, uh, sending that along. And I'm glad that you're listening. Also, uh, Rob and Robin and uh, Jeff, uh, all thank you very much for uh, for checking in. Also, uh, Trent out in Indiana says, I'm keeping you all in my thoughts. Seems when it rains, it pours. 2016 seems to be a tempest for many folks. I'm hoping it resolves itself as calmly as possible. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I believe in uh, karma and you know uh, all that type of stuff, Trent. But it does sort of seem like like this is a year where, again, just you know, globally there is a lot of unrest and uncertainty. Uh, nationally, there is a lot of unrest and uncertainty. In many states around the country, we're seeing a lot of unrest and uncertainty. And in people's lives, just the, the my, my friends and family that I know, uh, it seems like this has been a, um, you're, you're right, a very uh, tempestuous year. And I do hope that things have settled down. Trent says it's been warm here in the last 10 days. Indiana's like central Virginia in that we get the humidity as well. We were in the mid-90s with dew points in the mid-70s last week. It's backing off now, but it has been awful and has sapped my desire to pick the green beans that are ready. The summer squash have relented to pests or disease, and all three plants have been pulled, too, before they ever set fruit. Okay, I'm so glad to know that I'm not the only person that that happens to, Trent. Trent says, uh, musk and watermelons are vining nicely. Sunflowers, six to eight feet tall. Overall, one of the better garden years that we've had, and we've managed to keep the weeds limited in about 70% of the space. Now, Trent says, my tomatoes have recently come under attack from hornworms. I've beat them back fairly well to this point, and I have to confess that tossing them to the chickens, like some sort of ornithological Roman Colosseum, probably provides me more enjoyment than it should. 
<laughs> I'm laughing, Trent, because we too uh, will feed the chickens not only the bugs that we find from the garden, but uh, uh, any frogs. When we when we uh, uh, set up the above ground pool this summer, the frogs had moved in um, from the year before, and so there were. I don't know, we must have rounded up more than 20 frogs, these tiny little green frogs. And uh, and they were chicken treats. And the chickens love f- the frogs. Not 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 like, hey, you're my new buddy. No, it's more like, hey, it's dinner. Uh, and yes, it, it, it does. You get a, a certain amount of, uh, of joy of, OK, this is uh, this is how it ends for you. And uh, chickens enjoy the treat. Right. Uh, Trent says the egg count growing almost daily as this year's spring chicks come of age. So far today, Trent says I've had six eggs, but four of those are from pullets that are still laying very small eggs. There are at least five birds laying full-size eggs at this point. So near as I can tell, uh, most, if not all of the girls are laying all by 18 weeks of age. Good for you, Trent. I got to tell you, the heat has really impacted uh, our hens. We have, over the past three days, seven hens... Uh, that are all of laying age, past three days we've gotten two eggs because it has been, I, I think it's been because it's been so hot. Now, my I do have a slight concern that uh, the hens, because they're back to free ranging, we've been letting them out, haven't had any issues. I better knock on wood here. Uh, haven't had any issues. Knock, knock, knock. But um, they're also out and about. And so we have caught them laying eggs under bushes before and things like that when it's a little bit cooler. So it may be that they're not going into the coop to lay eggs. They're just sort of uh, dropping them in some shady place where we haven't found them yet. So uh, we might be going on a, uh, an egg hunt uh, this weekend at our place. Trent says, I've been taking some of the cucumbers that outsize themselves for table use, cutting them in half, and throwing them in the freezer for a bit as an afternoon treat for the chickens as well. They're not ranging at the moment to encourage them to get used to laying in the nest boxes rather than under the pine tree that they enjoy so much. Yeah, see, there you go. Uh, Trent says, now, next week, I go back under the knife to have my gallbladder removed. And two weeks after that, our septic system troubles come to an end as the new system will be going in. Never a dull moment in 2016. No, there never is, Trent. And uh, listen, I'm going to keep you in my thoughts and my prayers. Good luck with the gallbladder operation. You know, Trent had to have his appendix removed uh, right after the NRA annual meeting in Louisville. Uh, his uh, appendix nearly burst. And uh, Trent, again, man, keeping you in my thoughts and my prayers and wishing you all the very, very best. I do have a question, though, Trent, um, to take your mind maybe off of your operation. I have a septic-related question for you. Because this is our first experience with a septic system. Um, every other house that I have ever lived in, We've been hooked up to the city sewer. You flush the toilet. If there's a problem, uh, well, the problem's there in the toilet, right? Um, or, or if it's in the sewer system, then it's the city's issue. So we have our septic system. Um, we don't have any vents or any visible ports. Like the whole thing's just buried. So here's my question, Trent, and I hope that you can provide an answer for me. How do I know when it's time to get the system, the septic system serviced. Because I don't want to wait until it's too late. I don't want to wait until there's a problem. But as near as I can figure, in order to empty out the septic tank, they're going to actually have to uh, dig into the ground. They're going to have to uncover 
the port or vent or, or wherever they go because I don't see anything visible right now. Uh, and I imagine that's going to be a fairly big deal. So I don't want to do it too early. I don't want to do it unless I have to. So any septic advice that uh, you can provide me, I would be very, very grateful. Everything seems to be fine right now. Uh, I just don't want to suddenly wake up one day and find out that things are no longer fine there with the uh, the septic system. So there you go. There's my foolish question of the week for uh, for Trenton, Indiana. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we've got uh, more emails to get to. Stick around. There's more 40 Acres and a Fool coming up right after this. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. There's like the Alps full of evidence or the Rocky Mountain Range full of evidence against her. And she's never been she's never been brought to trial for it. She's never been charged with it. She there is a different standard. Anybody else would be in prison for the rest of their life. Not Hillary Clinton. Pat and Stu. Weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards with you here on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. I was going to try to make some sort of cows coming home pun coming back, but honestly, I haven't seen our neighbor's cows in a while. I'm not sure where the uh, the cows are off to. Maybe they're on a summer break. Um, so we do have some other uh, emails that I want to get to uh, this week. Uh, the email address, as always, 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at uh, gmail.com. Lena wrote in, said, uh, it's my third attempt at an email update for you all, but the uh, others have all gone by the wayside. This time will be different, as I want to send my well wishes and prayers out for Miss Ian family. I'm praying for wisdom for you all and the doctors and a full recovery. This is all terrible, and I'm so sorry to hear of it, Lena says. It's funny how close one feels to someone on the other side of a microphone. I do so enjoy hearing you talk about your farm adventures, and I greatly appreciate your letters from the farm. Lena says, we, on the other hand, have been woefully negligent in returning the favor. So to distract you for a short time, I'd like to update you on our three-acre adventure. So first of all, Lena, thank you very much. I I do appreciate that. Um, And yeah, it is kind of interesting uh, and and special, I think, um, how close you can feel to someone on the other side of the microphone or someone on the other side of the email. Um, it's one of the things that I've always really enjoyed about NRA News Cam and Company is the 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 community uh, of listeners. Again, it's not the Cam Edwards show. Uh, it's Cam and Company. And the show wouldn't exist if it weren't for um, the people that I talk to every day. And the uh, the guests that we have, and the audience that um, you know becomes a part of the show, and and I think that um, I, I think that's just part of my personality. That's that's what I like about uh, one of the things that I like about the job that I do is to get to meet people. It's one of my favorite things. So um, having this opportunity and this podcast, and getting to hear from uh, from you and, you know, Trent and Rob and Robin. And, uh, it's been a while since we've heard from Marcy out in Indiana. I hope everything's all right with, uh, with Marcy. But, um, anyway, I, 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 I really appreciate and enjoy the email. So thank you for sending them in. Now, Lena says, uh, our chicken numbers have doubled since I last wrote. 
I now have 50-ish chickens with two roosters. Only two roosters for 50 chickens. That that's amazing to me, Lena. That uh, that you can get that the the, the, uh, the roosters are actually uh, keeping track and getting the job done with uh, 25 hens between them. She said we had three roosters, but the boy who was the most amorous of them all mysteriously drowned in the pond. All of his objects of his affection look strangely unconcerned. I think there might have been a little foul play, but we'll never know. <laughs> Lena says adding two geese and four turkeys to our group keeps things lively and noisy. You know, we had a mysterious rooster death a couple years ago. Now, Chip, our, uh, who's the only rooster that we have right now, uh, he's actually the last of the original chickens that we got in 2013. He's the only one that's left. Which, to me, means he hasn't done a very good job in protecting his flock. But whatever. Um, he is the only one that's left. We had three roosters of the first 32 birds that we got. Uh, we had uh, Chip, uh, who is an Americana. All of the other birds that we uh, bought from McMurray Hatchery back then were uh, Buff Warpingtons. And then we got the quote-unquote exotic or the uh, the unusual uh, 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 chick thrown in for free. And that turned out to be Chip, our rooster, the Americana. And... Um, our other two uh, roosters, the uh, the Buff Orpingtons, we named them Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, Jay was our original alpha rooster. Silent Bob was his sidekick. Silent Bob never crowed. Jay did all the crowing. And then when Silent Bob finally did start crowing, we figured out why he didn't crow. And it was because he, he sounded pathetic and sad when he crowed. Uh, but one day Jay turned up mysteriously dead in our garden. There was no... Obvious signs of, uh, no pun intended, foul play. Uh, there was no uh, blood. There were no, it, he hadn't been attacked by anything. Um, he was just curled up on a garden bed. Looked like he was sleeping, but he wasn't sleeping. Uh, Jay had passed from this world. So I've always kind of wondered what happened there as well. Lena says, we recently had a pleasant surprise from our little sweet pea of six piglets born in the walking arena. She says we weren't expecting any babies this season since our roosters seem to be the only one getting the action in the barnyard. But I guess Henry the American guinea hog is discreet. <laughs> Good for you, Lena. We bought the original three last summer. She says we've been debating the proper time for freezer camps. She says, honestly, our last hogs were Herefords and such obnoxious pigs. I could not wait for freezer camp. But these hogs, though, they're so sweet and gentle. And those faces... She says, I've been dragging my feet calling the butcher, but now the time has come and the time to say goodbye to Henry. Lena says, says that with a sigh. Yeah, I, I, I understand what you mean, Lena. I do. There's always that bittersweet moment when uh, it's time to send the hogs off to freezer camp. Um, and it lasts, you know, a day or two. And then when you get your, your meat back and you start uh, making sausage and you start making bacon, and you start brining the hams, and then when you finally taste the delicious, delicious pork products. Um, you know, again, I'm not going to say it's not bittersweet because it, it, it is. I still think about some of the first hogs that we raised. Uh, I still think about Hambone. Hambone was, I think, one of my favorite hogs. But he was also delicious. So, you know, each and every year you get a, uh, another batch uh, another class, right, that uh, goes off to uh, to freezer camp at the end of the summer. And uh, and now you've got six more. What are you going to do with all of those? Are you going to keep them all? Are you going to try to sell a couple of the uh, uh, the young hogs when they get to be wieners? Or are you just going to keep them and have an abundance of bacon at some point? 
I'm curious. Lena says our garden this year is non-existent. We did not have the time or the extra funds to get anything going. Our strawberry plants have given us a lovely crop. And the rhubarb and asparagus sprouted nicely. I'm hoping that'll make for an even better year next year. The orchard's doing well and keeping the chickens and local birds well-fed. It's annoying and amusing at the same time. I love watching the hens hop up to peck an apple just four inches above her head. I can imagine a little grunt just before she leaps. <laughs> Our apple trees are not uh, big enough to produce apples yet. We just planted them last year. But we uh, had problems with our chickens getting into our blueberry bushes. And they would hop up onto one of the lower branches. And they would sit there and then eat the berries uh, directly above them. And, yeah, it's fascinating to watch, isn't it? Lena says, I often ask myself why I do all this. Why spend my money on feed, medicine, equipment, all to have not much of a return. And the time spent, so much feeding, watering, watching, caring in the heat and the snow. Why? Lena says it's not practical. It's not even smart, really. The numbers don't always add up to profit. They mostly break even. So why? Why do I do it? She says, well, I do it because it makes me happy. It's all about me. Ha. <laughs> That's it, she said. Me, God, and the critters. I'm happy. The animals are happy if I'm doing my job right, and I think that makes God happy. Best wishes and blessings, she says. Uh, Lena in uh, at Cottonwood Acres there in Nampa, Idaho. You know, Lena, I, I think for a lot of uh, backyard farmers, and I saw a great uh, a bumper sticker, window decal for your car. You know, my car burned up uh, last week, so I uh, am looking for a. Actually, I have a new vehicle now. If I had to replace some of these stickers that uh, that went away on the back of the car, and I, I saw one that just said backyard farmer. It had a little picture of a, uh, a hog. You can get one with a chicken. You can get one with a goat. And I, I thought, you know, that's a really good way of describing. I think what I feel like I'm doing. Um, where I don't feel comfortable saying, oh, yeah, I'm a farmer, because I'm not. But I'm not a backyard farmer, right? Hobby farmer, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's not about making a living. At this point, you're right. It's, it's, it's about maybe trying to break even. Uh, it's about, okay, if I factor in the cost of the feed and the free-ranging and then the processing for the pork, am I, am I coming out ahead or am I coming out behind if I were to just you know go to the grocery store and buy some pork chops? But there is that quality of life issue. Right. And that's the intangible. For some people, what you just described, Lena, sounds awful to them. Right. Why would I I would never want to do something like that. That sounds horrible. Your whole life is just chained to your property. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You can't take off for a week and go on a cruise or something like that because you got to take care of these animals. Uh, That sounds horrible to some people. But not everybody's wired the same way. Right. And for uh, some of us, um, the idea of having these animals to care for, the idea of having these uh, fruit trees and struggling with the garden every year, these things that are challenges, but they're also really rewarding, right? One of my favorite lines from Thomas Paine, and I'm paraphrasing here, is from The American Crisis. He said, that which we value uh, too cheaply, we esteem too lightly, right? Basically, if it doesn't, if it doesn't come with a cost, if it doesn't, if we don't think about it. If it's just sort of there, and it's always there. We're not going to value these things. They're not going to be that important to us. So I know, and I'm, I, I bet you feel the same way, Lena. That you have a, at least I feel like I have a much different relationship 
with everything from my food to the outside world to to nature uh, than I had five years ago when I was living in the suburbs and bought all of my food from the grocery store and didn't really uh, spend time outside unless it was you know uh, you know mowing my small little yard or raking up all of the leaves in the yard. It was, I, I did how I did yard work, but I didn't necessarily work outside. Uh, and that has changed. And I think the, just the experiences that I've had, uh, has made me appreciate all, all different kinds of aspects of my life, big and small, uh, in ways that I didn't and couldn't maybe uh, before I had these experiences over the last four years. So I think I know what you're talking about, Lena. And thank you so much for writing in. It was fantastic hearing from you. I would love to hear from you as well. It uh, Again, email address, 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Unfortunately, we've got to wrap things up for this week. But thank you so much for being a part of the program. Have a great weekend. Until we talk again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot. And we'll see you here soon from the near frontier with another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.